welcome back to another episode of our in-depth Lord of the Rings character guide podcast, Not Another Fucking Elf, hosted by my fellow Lord of the Rings nerd, Paul Ridd. Hello. And me, Catherine Bray, also very much a Lord of the Rings nerd. Let's just quickly recap what is this podcast and why. So, the podcast came about as a result of our desire to talk in-depth about Lord of the Rings, because we both love Lord of the Rings, and we thought a character-by-character, episode-by-episode approach would be a good way to approach it. So, in each episode, we look at a different character from Lord of the Rings, how they came across in annotations, what their place is in Tolkien's universe, and all of that stuff. And it's called Not Another Fucking Elf as an homage to Professor Tolkien's friend Hugo Dyson, Um, He supposedly said this in response to hearing a bit of Tolkien's writing read out to him by his good friend, the Professor. Yeah, it does feel like quite a harsh thing to say. But on the other hand, if you can't be honest with your friend and tell him when he's written one too many elves into Middle-earth, you know, what even is your friendship? It's very honest. Anyway, who are we discussing today? Today we are discussing Boromir, Man of Gondor, Man of a Thousand Memes. As played by Sean Bean in Peter Jackson's trilogy. And before we go any further, a reminder that any and every plot detail from Lord of the Rings is fair game here. Uh, we're assuming that there is no such thing as spoilers for our listeners. Yeah, if you are listening to a character-by-character podcast series about the Lord of the Rings, please don't complain about Lord of the Rings spoilers. Yes, please don't. But it probably does bear saying that if you can't really remember the Lord of the Rings because you've not read it or watched it in a while, that's absolutely fine because we are hopefully going to provide enough detail that you don't need to do a big rewatch or reread immediately before listening to the show. Yeah, we're aiming for almost punishing levels of detail. If you want to come and complain that there's not enough detail, we would welcome that. We will add more detail. Uh, If you want to come and complain that there's too much detail, sorry, wrong podcast. Mm. We're the podcast that is going to super serve you with far too much information about, in this case, Boromir. So should we go? Let's go. So the big question to kick things off is, who is Boromir? Uh, Where does he come from? So Boromir is a man, a man of Gondor. He's born during the Third Age of Middle-earth. His dad, Denethor, is steward of the Kingdom of Gondor, and his mum died when he was about ten. He's in his early forties, around the time of the main events of The Lord of the Rings, and he has a younger brother called Faramir, who's about five years younger, I think. And Boromir is very much daddy's favourite. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And so basically Boromir shows up at the Council of Elrond near the beginning of Lord of the Rings when the good guys are trying to decide what to do with the Ring of Power, the weapon of Sauron the Dark Lord, which through a long and complex chain of events has fallen into their hands. Yeah, and Boromir is there because he's had a dream telling him to go to Elrond's house. As you do. Uh, as you do. I love that about the fantasy genre. If you're not sure how to get someone to do something or get someone to go somewhere, you can just write in a dream telling them to do that. And it's at Elrond's house that he joins the Fellowship of the Ring after they decide what they need to do with the ring is destroy it by casting it into Mount Doom. And Boromir is more or less on board with that idea to start with, but as they travel together, he starts to question the wisdom of sending tiny, childlike hobbits into Mordor to destroy the most powerful weapon of war that has ever been created. (laughs) Yeah, officially it's like the ring kind of tempts him and puts these thoughts in his head about... maybe taking the ring and going off to Gondor to use it to protect his city. But I don't know, I feel like it's also not a totally mad piece of logic to think that the plan endorsed by Gandalf and Pals is a bit of a long shot. Yeah, so unfortunately Boromir tries to take the ring from Frodo, 
everything gets a bit chaotic and he gets shot to death by orcs. From his point of view, honestly, a bit of a bummer to have kind of like queried the grand plan and then within an hour he's dead. But uh, at least it was a hero's death, I guess. He dies defending two hobbits, Merry and Pippin, from the orcs. Yes, that's Boromir in a nutshell. A big valiant hero, tragically compromised by his desire for a shortcut to victory. So let's talk a bit more about what he's like as a character. I guess one thing that defines him is he's of the world of men. So he's quite different from the elves, quite different from hobbits and dwarves. Um, he has pride, he has valiant desires and heroism to, to die for. And yeah. And of the nine people, elves, dwarves, hobbits, etc., in the Fellowship of the Ring, he's one of two men. So the other being Aragorn. And... But even Aragorn, I mean, he is, but he isn't, isn't he, right? Like, I mean, in terms of what he is. He is a man, but yeah. he's a man coming from a very noble place, culturally. Mm. Not that Boromir isn't. He's the son of the steward of Gondor, so he's not exactly working class. Mm. But he's quite an earthy kind of hero. Mm -hmm. And he is, I think, set in contrast to Aragorn. He's the, the foreign hero. Aragorn is the hero as things were supposed to play out. Yeah. So we can talk a bit about what he looks like in the adaptations in a moment, but from the book's point of view, he's tall, he's broad, he's got dark hair, I think he's got grey eyes, and he's very much the embodiment of a sort of heroic masculine ideal. Mm. His armour, his sword, his horn, all yeah. of that stuff's quite traditional. It's Tolkien's affection for old English sagas, a lot of those old poems, stuff like The Seafarer, all of those, uh, Beowulf, mm -hmm. is the real biggie. They all spend a lot of time describing people's uh, armour and heraldic devices and all of that. And there's uh, quite a bit of time given over in The Lord of the Rings to Boromir's horn. Yeah. Um, without laughing, talk to me about Boromir's horn. Well, it's just a symbol, it's his main accessory, and it's the thing... It's the... <laughs> it is. It's a symbol. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Boromir's horn has lots of sort of... Uh, I guess, well, we can talk about that. There's like a phallic symbol, isn't it? I mean, a symbol of power, a symbol of... I don't know. I think you can certainly read it that way. As ever with Tolkien, whether Tolkien intended it that yeah, way is yeah, Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. There's no such thing as penises in Lord of the Rings. But yeah, it's very it's important because it's the symbol of his house mm -hmm. and it's been carried by the eldest son of their house kind of since time immemorial down yeah. through the generations. Later on, his father, Denethor, says, yeah, I bore it when I was his age. Mm -hmm. And after Boromir dies... Faramir, his brother, has a vision of his body floating in a boat with the horn cloven in two, which is in fact what's happened in real life, but he's he's just seeing it in a dream. So they're quite they're all quite psychically sensitive, Boromir, Faramir, Denethor, they're all having dreams and visions all of the time. Mm -hmm. I guess that still grounds them in a kind of like manly reality without having kind of any special powers, but that sort of uh, psychic connection is more, I don't know, that's a very different kind of power. But yes, I guess when we think of Boromir's powers, in general, we think about his skill as a warrior. Yeah. Um, he is instrumental in fighting off the orcs and the cave trolls in the mines of Moria. Mm -hmm. He, it's 
him and Aragorn who managed to clear a path down through the snow off Carad Hras when they get stuck in a snowstorm. Mm-hmm. One of the bits I always remember from the books is how pleased Boromir is with himself after he saves them from the snowstorm. He says, uh, your Carad Hras had forgotten that you have men with you and a doughty men too, if I may say it, though lesser men with spades may have served you better. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice, yeah, nice little humble brag. <laughs> he's like a, he's just like a big old Viking. Yeah, yeah, which leads us nicely on to how he's represented in various different formats, and some that lean more into that sort of Viking imagery, and some which play that down. <laughs> but yeah, maybe do you want to go on to talk about the very first audio representation of Boromir? So in the. Mm-hmm now lost to 1955 BBC adaptation. Um, yeah, we don't really know very much about the 1955 lost Boromir, but we do know he was played by an actor called Derek Prentice. Shout out to Derek Prentice. Sadly, we'll never hear his version, but we just wanted to acknowledge it. Yes, absolutely. Um, and then you move on to the Bakshi film from 1978, where he's played by an actor called Michael Graham Cox. Yes, and this is the animated um, epic that we have referred to before. Um, Incomplete finishes after the breaking of the so it doesn't really concern Boromir that this one isn't finished. He's wrapped by then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, but it's always just a point of contention, isn't it? Just to, have to always come back to the sadness of the loss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in every episode of this podcast, we will have a short three-minute silence for the end of the Bakshi <laughs> Yeah, so he's played by Michael Graham Cox. Don't really know a lot about Michael Graham Cox, except that he's in he's in A Bridge Too Far. He plays Bigwig in the animated Watership Down. Don't know how well you know Watership Down, Band of Rabbits on a Quest, so he's obviously an actor who gravitates towards Quest narratives. Yeah. Bigwig is like the big, strong rabbit. So yeah. I guess uh, Michael Graham Cox, I don't know whether he himself was big or strong or if he was playing against Ty but uh, I would say Big Wig is basically the Boromir of Watership Down, so it's not unfitting casting. Yeah. Should we have a listen to him playing Boromir in the back sheet? Yes, absolutely. So this is Boromir's death scene. He's full of arrows, shot at him by orcs. He's had a go at saving Merry and Pippin from the orcs. I mean, they have actually captured them, but Hmm. he did his best. And now Aragorn, who has been... We don't really know what Aragorn has been up to, I guess, also fighting orcs, but we don't. I don't think the Bakshi version shows us that big yeah. epic fight that you get in the PJ version with uh, Vigo just taking them down one by one. So yeah, Aragorn runs in, he's very upset to see his buddy lying there by a tree. Boromir. I tried to take the ring from Frodo. I'm sorry. I have paid. Aragorn. Aragorn, go to Minas Tirith. Save my people. Aragorn. I will go. I promise you. The halflings. Orcs took them. I think they are not dead. Standard nobility stuff, right? Like, I mean, it's uh, pretty straight RP, lovely velvety British actor voice. Lovely RP, British accent. I guess that's the big difference between the big performance that we're going to come on to talk about in Mm. a minute. But yeah, it makes sense for the culture of the time, the late 1970s. If you want to cast a nobleman, you're going to cast somebody with an RP voice. And that is Michael Graham Cox in this role. We should talk about the fact that 
Boromir looks very odd in the Bakshi version, right? Like, <laughs> his get-up. It's funny because, yes, he looks like a Viking. He's got Viking horns on his helmet and he's wearing these incredibly short short shorts, yep. uh, as is Aragorn. We're getting a lot of five from the boys in yeah. the Bakshi's version of Lord of the Rings. It's funny, though, because although he looks very different from, I think, the way Tolkien conceived of him, I can see how they got there because... Tolkien was an expert in the Icelandic sagas and old English epic poems, as I think we said before. And therefore, you can see why someone would go, okay, well, these guys are Vikings. We're going to dress them as Vikings. It makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. And uh, in terms of the overall wild look of the Bakshi film, it's not as if it sits out of place with the rest <laughs> of the imagery. The elves um, look like they've come straight in from a Disney Snow White type yes. production, so it could be worse. I love that idea of, of Boromir as the Viking hero. It feels very Beowulf. Mm. It feels very true to Tolkien's work in that line of sort of old English poetry. It's part a big part of his work at Oxford, where he was part of the language school of English. There was always this big beef in 1940s, 50s, 60s, Oxford, and probably before and since, uh, between people who were focused on... Chaucer and earlier, and people who were focused on Shakespeare and later, and yep. Tolkien was obviously firmly of the former camp. Yeah, it all went downhill after Chaucer. Initially, he and C.S. Lewis really didn't like each other just because they were from the different, <laughs> the, you know, the sharks and the jets, yeah. the Montagues and the yeah. Capulets. It's like, I can't possibly be his friend. He's part of the, the language gang. Yeah, it feels kind of meaty and tragic in a way that belongs to a tradition of kind of oral myth making right in terms of a mortal man who is almost sort of superhuman but is fallible and full of pride and will have some one tick in his character that will result in his downfall yeah it's an echo of what happens to the ring wraiths who start out as mortal men and then become corrupted by the desire of the nine rings that mm. Sauron gives them i think someone says after boromir carks it it's not the worst thing that could have befallen him he couldn't but if he had reached out and taken the ring, he would have eventually become a ring wraith under the dominion of Sauron. It's mm. almost not a blessing, but it's not the worst. No, that could he have has happened. a heroic death. Yeah. Then there's the 1979 Mind's Eye radio adaptation where Boromir is played by an actor called Eric Bowersfeld. Um, he also plays Theoden in that production. Bowersfeld's sort of a character actor, most famous for playing Nib Fortuna and Admiral Akbar in the Star Wars films. So I was looking at Bowersfelt and um, he has a bit of a sort of interesting backstory. He was a bit of a big cheese in radio in Berkeley and San Francisco in the Bay Area during the 70s. And he was a big friend of Lawrence Ferenghetti. So he's kind of a counterculture chap in San Francisco. On top of that, he also did some other voice work, including for Spielberg later on for AI Artificial Intelligence. Um, he was also, fun fact, down to the last two to play Yoda. Uh, a part he lost out to Frank Oz in the end, of course. Amazing. These these Binds Eye guys, they're not usually the best version of any given character that we might be looking at, but they do have these fascinating backstories quite often. I guess it's, yeah, the the time that it was made. I suppose the thing is, 
Lord of the Rings wasn't quite such an object in America in the 70s at that period. So you're not going to be getting the most famous guys of their time. It's quite all quite off-piste, am-dram, quirky people who happened to be around at the time. Yeah, yeah. I sort of always think of the BBC adaptation as the thing that sort of solidifies the idea of Lord of the Rings in media as being full of plummy British accents. And then you've got this completely counter-object from two years before that's just full of these strange radio character actors who have very thick American accents. So yeah, it's a weird oddity. So let's have a listen to Eric Bowersfeld playing uh, Boromir here. Um, it's a little snatch of uh, his appearance at the Council of Elrond. So here he is, Eric Bowersfeld playing Boromir. I don't seek allies in war. The might of Elrond is in wisdom, it is said. A dream my brother had, and once did I. From it a voice cried, Seek for the sword that was broken. In Imladris it dwells, a token that doom is near at hand. For Isildur's bane shall waken, and the halfling forth shall stand. Our father, Denethor, lord of Minas Tirith, said only that Imladris was of old the name where Elrond dwelt, whose house I have sought for so long. And here in the house of Elrond, more shall be made clear to you, Lord Boromir. Here is the sword that was broken. And who are you and what have you to do with Minas Tirith? It's just a very plummy voice, isn't it? It's, um... it's pretty nice. It's certainly better than some of the other Mind's Eye voices. Yeah. It's absolutely better than a lot of what is going on in the Rankin-Bass Return of the King. <laughs> It's kind of weird with these objects because you kind of have to put everyone on a sliding scale of hamminess where um, <laughs> this is comparatively restrained. Yeah, on the sliding ham scale, this is not, uh, this is somewhere in the middle. Yeah, this is just a bit of parma ham <laughs> rather than a big gammon. Yeah, yeah, it's not a honey glazed, it's no. a subtle sort of sandwich ready it's ham. It's a wafer. Yeah, wafer thin ham. Michael Graham Cox then continues to play Boromir in the 1981 BBC radio adaptation. Beautiful adaptation. We've talked before about how much we love this version mm -hmm. of Lord of the Rings. They do a really nice job. And I guess they thought that Michael Graham Cox had done a really nice yeah. job in the Bakshi version. Yeah, um, there's a fair few crossovers from both from Bakshi to the BBC version. And you're, you're sort of uh, in the BBC version, you're, you're just given an embarrassment of uh, British character actors with rich RP voices playing noblemen, so yeah. Yeah, so shall we have a listen to a little bit more Michael Graham Cox, this time in his 1981 BBC radio adaptation, Guys as Boromir. Denethor, my father, told me that Imladris was Rivendell, where Elrond the half-elven dwelt, greatest of lawmasters. So to the house of Elrond have I come to seek the meaning of the dream. And here in the house of Elrond your dream shall be made clear to you. Here is the sword that was broken. And who are you? And what have you to do with Minas Tirith? He is Aragorn, son of Arathorn. Such a lovely adaptation. Yeah, not really much more to say except that, yeah, you're getting some of the richest voices of the time in this beautiful sonic melody. Big RP heroes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love the way that they they deliver their lines with such conviction. It's almost like they're doing Shakespeare. Like, I, I love it. It's a very different approach to, obviously, subsequent versions, but yeah. Yeah, any of the sort of Tolkien adaptations that are more aimed at children, it feels like the actors are much more 
And now we're going to tell you a story, yeah. whereas these guys are straight down the line, which works works really well. Maybe yeah. we should say, since we've mentioned a few times RP, what that is. Yeah, receive pronunciation, so a very old school way of learning how to speak and project on stage, but also solidifying certain pronunciations and vowel sounds, which are maybe now considered posh, I don't know. You wouldn't hear many voices on the BBC reading the news that weren't RP for a really long time. Um, for whatever reason, it was considered to be not having an accent, even though obviously it, it is, is just an accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think you, as a culture, you internalise these things for a really long time, and it still seems to carry a lot of weight as the sort of voice that we, you would use if you wanted to portray a certain type of um, gravitas, but as you say, not unlinked to class. It's now more seen as a posh way of speaking. Yeah. Well, it's interesting the way Jackson keeps one foot in that by having home and, well, Ian Home and is in the original radio version, and actor like Ian McKellen, because they belong to that kind of tradition of actorly voices mm. and then colliding with this kind of multinational or international cast they have a very different approach to speaking and acting style so yeah little sidebar on rp yeah. there <laughs> maybe it's gonna hit the cutting room floor i don't know let's find out <laughs> in my best rp um rob inglis a full 1990 audiobook version of the full book cycle. He is doing all the voices. Maybe there's a bit more of a consistency between the different voices than you'd want or expect. No, let's have a listen to how he delivers Boromir. And I bet it is in a very RP voice. <laughs> Boromir stirred, and Frodo looked at him. He was fingering his great horn and frowning. At length he spoke. I do not understand all this, he said. Saruman is a traitor, but did he not have a glimpse of wisdom? Why do you speak ever of hiding and destroying? Why should we not think that the great ring has come into our hands to serve us in the very hour of need? Wielding it, the free lords of the free may surely defeat the enemy. That is what he most fears, I deem. The men of Gondor are valiant, and they will never submit but they may be beaten down. Valor needs first strength and then a weapon. Let the ring be your weapon. If it has such a power as you say, take it and go forth to victory. Just your standard <laughs> weird guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's quite a kind of a closed sort of the men of Gondor will yeah. get it done quite yeah. an odd yeah like a sort of dylan thomas kind of rendition <laughs> it's fine it's fine we've said this before in relation to rob english but it is obviously a tougher ask doing the voices for the entire show and all the all the prose narration but yeah i will say i think i don't know whether the particular m moment that we'd pick there is showcasing him to his greatest advantage no just a kind of monotonous variance of slight pitch rather than any <laughs> defining characteristics i guess that's kind of like how uh circus later on with his audiobook version manages to differentiate because he's also working with lots of different accents that are obviously influenced by the filmic adaptation mm, mm. Um, yeah moving swiftly onwards we come to the big big bean the big bean <laughs> i think we've come to the big bean 
this is the Boromir that most people who have engaged with. He's the Boromir of hearts, isn't he? He's he's the people's Boromir. Yeah. I mean that fairly literally because um, building on what we've said about RP accents, Sean Bean's take on Boromir has Sean Bean's accent. Yeah. And I think it's a lovely choice because hopefully by 2001 we have moved on from that need for heroes to be the RP guys. Yes. Um, and we're ready for a northern hero. Yeah. And we also establish a difference in where he's from automatically, not just in his appearance, but also just a different region of Middle-earth, right? In, yes, in terms but of... immediately he's different from Aragorn, who, whose voice shifts, actually, a yes. bit. Vigo's voice, I think intentionally, but he starts out in a more Western Irish sort of place with yes. it and then gets gradually more RP as he gets closer to becoming the king. <laughs> yeah, it's strange. I wonder whether that was just an evolution of the production and his <laughs> vocal work, but, yeah, it is strange when he first appears as Strider, the way he has this strange Irish twang. <laughs> just a little twang, you know, not nearly frightened enough, yeah, kind yeah. of lilt in there. Anyway, that's for our Aragorn episode. Yes. Sean Bean, what a wonderful piece of casting. Yeah. I really like his Boromir uh, from the moment in Fellowship where he's riding in slow motion through the gate into Auron's gaff. I think in the book he's described as sort of travel-stained, a spattered cloak, all of that. I'm not sure, it doesn't exactly look like they've rolled him in mud or anything, but he does look like he's been on a proper journey to get there. Yeah. In contrast to somebody like Legolas, who obviously is an elf, who's very... Yeah, um, sort of drifts in. Refined, perfect, shampoo commercial, not a hair out of place. Boromir looks like he's gone the distance. His hair is slightly sort of stringy and oily, mm. in a good way, that suits the character. Yeah, totally. And it just really taps into what makes Sean Bean an interesting screen presence, right? Just a perfect map of star presence to character. Yeah. Somebody who is dashing, but also has that edge of kind of sadness. I don't know, there's something about Sean Bean just as an actor that mm. is always kind of strange, because he's not quite matinee idol. Still a very, very good-looking chap. Extremely handsome fellow. But is always going to sit in those roles where he'll maybe be the second lead or the villain. Um, of the piece. Yeah, so. like look at Goldeneye. Yeah. He's not James Bond. Yeah. He's the handsome agent who was what believed dead, I yeah. think. And then it Went come, rogue. comes back, yeah. it's gone rogue. He's teamed up with the Russians. Of course yeah. he has. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just hard to think of, again, like Circus in the Gollum role or, you know, even Elijah in the Frodo role. It's very difficult to imagine anyone else in that role now. So, shall we have a listen to a clip? Let's have a listen to a clip. So this is an imagined flashback from the extended scenes in Two Towers with Boromir and Faramir hanging out and kind of toasting victory. It's not something that uh, Tolkien ever wrote, but it feels fairly true to the characters as written. Let's have a listen. <laughs> Good speech. Nice and short. Leaves more time for drinking. <laughs> Break out the ale! These men are thirsty! Remember today, little brother, today, life is good. And one moment of peace can not give us that. Where is he? Where is Gondor's finest? Where is my firstborn? Father! They say you vanquished the enemy almost single-handed. They exaggerate. <laughs> the victory belongs to Faramir also. But for Faramir, the city would still be standing. 
Were you not entrusted to protect it? I would have done, but our numbers were too few. Oh, too few. You let the enemy walk in and take it on a whim. Always you cast a poor reflection on me. That is not my intent. You give him no credit, and yet he tries to do your will. He loves you, father. Do not trouble me with Faramir. I know his uses, and they are few. So a nice dynamic, I think. Yeah, yeah, nicely establishes the relationship with Faramir. Although it does set up a rather problematic element of the whole series, which is that Faramir and Denethor don't in any way attempt to do like a northern accent. <laughs> so it's an, it's an affectation by The Boromir. northern son of a man with an RP accent whose brother also has an RP accent. Well, it, it just establishes them as a lad, right? Like it's, uh, yeah, it's a nice shorthand for um, the relationship that I think in the original cut of Two Towers wasn't quite as sort of clear, maybe. Well, you would never in the in the theatricals you never see them side by side, yeah. so it re you really would never notice it. Um, and I honestly think it's one of those times when heart overhead. I would rather have that scene, and I would rather have them be doing the accents that they're doing mm. than the officially more logical thing, which would have been to have them all do the same accent. Yeah, yeah. Should we have a look at another clip? Let's do it. What have we got? So this is a, a now iconic scene. Um, in which Boromir is at the Council of Elrond, sort of speaking quite sensibly about the 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 task at hand and the challenges faced. But um, I guess let's listen to it and then talk about why this is now iconic. One does not simply walk into Mordor. Its black gates are guarded by more than just orcs. There is evil there that does not sleep. The great eye is ever watchful. It is a barren wasteland, riddled with fire and ash and dust. The very air you breathe is a poisonous fume. Not with 10,000 men could you do this. It is folly. Have you heard nothing Lord Elrond has said? The ring must be destroyed. And I suppose you think you're the one to do it. And if we fail, what then? What happens when Sauron takes back what is his? So, in the context of the film, it's a great defining moment for the character. It sets up his slight ambivalence about, well, not slight, his <laughs> very strong ambivalence. Huge ambivalence. His enormous ambivalence about what the Fellowship is about to undertake. Uh, but it also signals the possibility that he might be tempted off the path, right? I think it's a little bit of uh, the tragedy of Boromir that because he is in a story written in the heroic high romance mode, to express doubt is to be slightly compromised. You're supposed to, if, if you're Aragorn, you have doubts, but you probably don't express them quite so nakedly. The idea of saying, no, you can't do this, it's full <laughs> of vaults, mate. <laughs> yeah. It makes Boromir quite a modern character in a way, I think, yeah. really lampshading the difficulty of what they're about to do. Yeah, yeah. And then in the wider cultural context of the moment, I guess it's one of many moments in the film series that have now become memes. Yeah. Will you explain what memes are? <laughs> People know what memes are, don't they? Yeah. 
Yeah, I hope so. If you're listening Stuff to this. Stuff online. Google it. <laughs> Google borrow memes. So this is another instance of probably actually quite logical. Sensible Boromir pitching to Aragorn that they don't go to Mordor, don't take the ring there, it's probably not going to work out, they should go to Minas Tirith, their place of strength, and use the ring to try to defeat Sauron. Um, let's listen to that. Minas Tirith is a safer road. You know that. From there we can regroup. Strike out for Mordor from a place of strength. There is no strength in Gondor that can avail us. You were quick enough to trust the elves. Have you so little faith in your own people? Yes, there is weakness, there is frailty, but there is courage also, and honour to be found in men. But you will not see that. You are afraid all your life. You have hidden in the shadows, scared of who you are, of what you are. And yeah, it's just total sense, isn't it? <laughs> Entrusting this enormous task to these, uh, yeah, little lads. Fellas. <laughs> the little fellas. And not afraid to speak truth to power. Exactly. Uh, Aragorn, what are you doing? Why are you hiding? You're meant yeah. to be the king. You're very, very strong. You should use that strength. I think this is turning into the Boromir defence episode. Yeah. We should, we, should, we should stress that Boromir doesn't behave even up to his actual temptation. He doesn't necessarily always behave in the most rational or moral way. What are you saying? <laughs> what are you saying about my boy Boromir? <laughs> and now we're going to look at a, a scene in which uh, Boromir briefly comes into possession of the ring through a, um, an accident on the mountainside. Um, Frodo just falls home for no reason. Frodo just cunts it onto the ground and then... <laughs> <laughs> Leaves the ring in the snow. Yeah. Well done, guy. Um, fun little factoid about that. In the making of the film, an enormous ring was used for the shot, which yes. foregrounds the ring just as Boromir picks it up to help with the size differentiation between what we're seeing in the foreground and the size of the hobbits in the shot in the background. Um, so there's an enormous ring somewhere. That, that is was a fun little factoid. Yeah. Fun little factoid about an enormous ring. Anyway, so this is Boromir riffing on <laughs> the whole existential element of <laughs> their quest. While well, Frodo looks, looks on. on tearfully in the background. Boromir. It is a strange fate that we should suffer so much fear and doubt over so small a thing. Such a little thing. Boromir! Give the ring to Frodo. As you wish. I can not. <laughs> Absolute liar. It's the first moment where we really, I think, see Boromir tempted yes. by the ring. The little, I can't obviously see this on a podcast, but the little tousling of Frodo's hair that he does at the end, so patronising, yeah. it's brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant work yeah. by Bean. Yeah, it's just a masterclass from Bean. I mean, Bean has 
only, I mean, if you think about his importance in the overall film structure, all three films, he's, you know, he doesn't have an enormous amount of screen time, but he does sort of leave an indelible mark on the on the series and sort of like, yeah, it's just an incredible arc that he handles so well. Leaves on his homeland, goes yeah. on a little adventure, things go wrong. It's, uh, it's Mr Bean's holiday. Yeah, exactly. And then I think the final bit of Bean Boromir that we want to have a listen to is obviously his death scene. Big moment, Bean mm-hmm. checking out of the franchise other than the flashbacks that we've mm-hmm. mentioned. And I think they, they didn't know that those flashbacks were going to be in there necessarily. So from Sean Bean's point of view, this is his big yeah. moment. I think every actor loves to do a big meaty death scene, especially anything where you get to make a speech while you're on the way out. Definitely. Um, Bean, I think, no exception. Yeah. Frodo. Where is Frodo? I let Frodo go. Then you did what I could not. I tried to take the ring from him. The ring is beyond our reach now. Forgive me. I did not see. I have failed you all. No, Boromir. You fought bravely. You have kept your honor. Leave it. It is over. The world of men will fall. And all will come to darkness. And my city to ruin. What a scene. What a scene. It totes emotion, as yeah. nobody says. Ever. And Ever. we should scratch from the memory of this podcast forever. <laughs> <laughs> also, just bringing us back to this whole idea of an earthiness. I don't think the defining Boromir image in the films is of his hair filled with leaves. (laughs) (laughs) So the sort of haptic image in Lord of the Rings I always think of when I think of Boromir is like his head, whether it's just after he's tried to take the ring from Frodo or when he's just about to die, his hair, which is so greasy, just with all these little leaves caught up in it from this dense forest that they've been fighting in. Beautiful. Um, Yeah. And... He's about to go on his final Viking-style journey, Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas, in the book, have discussion for, I think, a pretty much a whole page about what they're going to do. Yeah. Um, either Legolas or Gimli says, we might make a cairn out of rocks. Like, you're not going to make a cairn. You're in the middle of a quest. <laughs> the, the lads are in the possession of the orcs. You've got to yeah, get yeah, on just it. Get a move on. Yeah. Um, so someone more sensible says, let's put him yeah. in a boat and shove him over the waterfall, yeah. uh, which they do in... Yeah slightly more respectful way than I've just described it there. He's arrayed with the spears of his fallen enemies. Mm -hmm. They sing a song. I say they sing a song. Aragorn and Legolas sing a song. Gimli abstains because each verse of the song is about a different, uh, about the wind coming from a different quarter and the only wind that would be left for him to sing about is the east wind. And he says, I will say naught of it because the east wind is a symbol of ill omen because mm. that's the direction that Mordor lies. Mm. Either way, it's quite a noble exit. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, okay, Catherine, <laughs> detail on one of the songs there that we possibly don't No, it's don't good, need. it's good. Um, there aren't any other songs about Boromir, are there? More songs? I don't think so. I think that's the only song about Boromir. It's a shame. There should be more. So they spend enough time singing about the other characters. You should need more. I think the Rob English version, because it's unabridged, must have the song. The song. Shall we have a listen to a bit of it? Let's do it. 
from the gate of kings the north wind rides and past the roaring falls and clear and cold about the tower its loud horn calls what news from the north o oh mighty wind do you bring to me to-day what news of boromir the bold for he is long away Robin List singing singing us out singing us out <laughs> so there's one final interpretation of boromir that it would be worth talking about and that is mr andy circus yeah i mean for the audiobook version that he recorded he's essentially doing a sean bean impression which is fine and yeah it's a pretty good impression pretty good really Should we good have a, have a little listen yeah, to a little bit about here he is andy circus doing his very best sean bean for the boromir of the andy circus version of the lord of the rings audiobook boromir opened his eyes and strove to speak at last slow words came tried to take the ring from Frodo, he said. I am sorry. I have paid. His glance strayed to his fallen enemies. Twenty at least lay there. They have gone. The halflings. The orcs have taken them. I think they are not dead. Orcs bound them. He paused and his eyes closed wearily. After a moment, he spoke again. Farewell, Aragorn. Go to Minas Tirith and save my people. I have failed. So Andy Serkis's version of the death scene there, uh, mm. I think also very moving. Yeah, absolutely. Moving on from the adaptations, I'd like to talk a bit about how Tolkien himself conceived of Boromir within his works and the widest thematic significance of this character. Something that I noticed in the letters is that Boromir comes up whenever someone is accusing Tolkien of writing an overly simplistic moral universe, and I think it's a fair defence. Uh, I'll read a little bit from one of those. So here he is clapping back against some reviewers. Some reviewers have called the whole thing simple-minded, just a plain fight between good and evil, with all the good just good and the bad just bad. Pardonable, perhaps, though at least Boromir has been overlooked in People in a Hurry and with only a fragment to read, and of course without the earlier written but unpublished Elvish histories. And he returns to that theme again later. He says, but in any case, this is a tale about war, and if war is allowed, at least as a topic and a setting, it is not much good complaining that all the people on one side are against those on the other. Nor have I made even this issue quite so simple. There are Saruman and Denethor and Boromir, and there are treacheries and strife even amongst the orcs. I think fair play. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as a defence of a very complicated moral universe, yeah. I like the little sort of jab at people who haven't read it properly. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. always nice to see that. He's always up for getting a little bit salty. I don't know if you've ever read the stuff that he said about the treatment he read by Morton Grady Zimmerman for a proposed screen version of Lord of the Rings. No, I haven't. It's quite think. fun. It's, again, it's, it's Salty Professor. I've got that here. Let's, uh, if, we, if we've got time. Yeah, good. 
I am entirely ignorant of the process of producing an animated picture from a book and of the jargon connected with it. Could you let me know exactly what is a storyline and its function in the process? It is not necessary or advisable for me to waste time on mere expressions if these are simply directions to picture producers. But this document, as it stands, is sufficient to give me grave anxiety about the actual dialogue that, I suppose, will be used. I should say Zimmerman, the constructor of this storyline, is quite incapable of exerting or adapting the spoken words of the book. He is hasty, insensitive and impertinent. He does not read books. It seems to me evident that he has skimmed through The Lord of the Rings at great pace and then constructed his storyline from partly confused memories and with the minimum of references back to the original. Thus he gets most of the names wrong in form, not occasionally by casual error, but fixedly. Always Borimor for Boromir, or he misapplies them. Radagast becomes an eagle. <laughs> Continues in that vein. And it's spicy. <laughs> I really do love reading those letters and mm. highly recommend that collection, The Letters of J.R.R. Tolkien. It's one of the things that I actually didn't read for a really long time. I suppose I just felt like compared to the primary text, it would be dry, but... Mm. Actually, they're not this full of that kind of sauce. Yeah, nice. We've touched on this already, but Boromir as a meme. Yeah. It's difficult to talk about, isn't it? Because so many memes are completely taken out of context. That one does not simply walk into Mordor has been used just as a sort of comical shorthand for anything that's more challenging than the original BOP has suggested, right? Yes, exactly. Um, I think it's interesting to think about the fact that Lord of the Rings was made at a time slightly before memes were really taking off as a mainstream cultural expression. So while they were making Lord of the Rings, they wouldn't have been thinking, oh, any slightly funny or sombre or significant or hilarious line reading could end up as a meme. Whereas I imagine when they're making, for example, the Marvel movies now, that would be in your mind. It would be, I mean, yeah. be a massive movie that will be seen by lots of people and therefore even odds anything slightly quirky is going to get reappropriated as a meme. Yeah. I, I don't know what that does to your performance, whether you lean into it or what, but that's not what they're doing here. Sean Bean was not performing One Does Not Simply Walk Into Mordor with any part of his brain thinking that might be my legacy. Yeah. Uh, although I think he understands that now. I think I read something or watched something where he said, yeah, that'll probably be you know, when I die. One Does Not Simply Walk Into Mordor will be all over the internet, which is probably true. Yeah. yeah and it's yeah. wild to think about. Yeah. No, it's crazy to think of a time... I mean, I don't feel like those films themselves are especially self-conscious no. um that's something that comes in becomes much more of a common thing in that level of filmmaking later on once the memes culture kicks in but i wonder if it's something that affected the hobbit trilogy yeah. i mean there's lots of problems with the hobbit trilogy that peter jackson later made but a lot of it does seem to be to me around mm, sort of inappropriate levels of reverence for the source material. And I'm not mm. saying that you have to be totally reverent all of the time, but there's stuff in the Hobbit trilogy that feels like someone has this this sense of someone watching them and not potentially laughing at them mm. and is almost trying to try get around that by having the laugh first. So there's mm. like a joke about elves liking salad. Mm. 
and as with a lot of meme culture i think it's it, actually makes it less memeable because yeah. you don't want that it's like teachers who try to join in with the joke against yeah. them it stops it being like funny. a bit hello fellow kids kind of thing yeah <laughs> absolutely to reference yeah. another meme yeah 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 and i think that scene i think i'm right in saying they wrote those lines fairly late in the day the big monologue about how tough it was going to be in mordor mm -hmm. and i think shulmin is rumored to be reading the script off his lap it's why he's got that slightly downward cast to oh, really? the way that he's sitting he's taking little peeks nice. at the monologue on his knees <laughs> yeah but i don't know i think the use of that image and the use of his image in general in that in lord of the rings is kind of divorced from his character and from his arc much like so many memes right like it's not really about it's Boromir. not a comment on how he played the role or anything no that one image took off yeah but yeah, it's a it's a definitive performance, and yeah, I think Sean Bean has made a lot of movies since where maybe his death scene is the thing that we're all waiting for, right? It's almost as if like he has such a spectacular death scene in Lord of the Rings, and previously before that, Goldeneye, his stock in trade becomes the big villain or the big <laughs> anti-hero. How's it going to kill him off? <laughs> it's a horrible death. <laughs> So it's time for the final section of the podcast, an item that we are calling the page off. Loving the page off. Uh, it's a competitive game. You can also play at home with any edition of the Lord of the Rings and any Lord of the Rings online random quote generator. We're using one on the site happycow.com. And it works like this. So we generate a random quote from Lord of the Rings and then we have to guess what page number the quote is from. We're using a 1990 reprint of the 1966 HarperCollins edition, but obviously you can use any copy of the Lord of the Rings. We will then score points based on how far away from the actual page we landed. And if you get it spot on, you score zero and the aim is to score as few points as possible. We'll be keeping a running total across the series and our aim is to destroy each other. Um, but we'll see what happens. So far, I believe I am 10 points ahead of Catherine. Paul is shamefully 10 points ahead of me. So let's try to fix that. Let's load up the quote generator. So this week's quote is, I will take the ring, he said, though I do not know the way. Fuck. Early doors. Early doors fellowship. Frodo, obviously. Frodo. Um, <laughs> Pippin piping up. <laughs> Uh, Maybe it's the deluded Boromir saying. <laughs> I will take the ring to Minas Tirith, and I do know the way. <laughs> Give it to me. Um, I'm going to say first 100 pages of Fellowship. So anywhere between 1 and 100. Mm. There's a lot of business at the beginning. A lot of Bilbo's party, a lot of what are, what are, what are hobbits, a lot of um, selling off Bilbo's stuff and his house a lot of back and forth between frodo and gandalf oh god i'm gonna say page 65 oh uh chance for catherine to show her quality i i think like okay yeah so fellowship at the sort of back half of that you've got to get through lorian and moria and balrogs and all of that but at the front half you've really do have quite a lot of the old forest and barrow whites i think you've pitched this as as frodo says this maybe in the shire to gandalf before he goes i think this is from the the council of elrond oh no so have i fucked up i think and and that goes on for a while 
I think it could be an early early 200s kind of a deal. Oof, maybe. But, You're probably right. Uh, or maybe like mid, mid hundreds. Um, you've said... 65. 65. I'm going to jump 100 pages ahead of you. I'm going to say 165. Okay. Okay, so first I'm going to look up what is on page 65. I don't want to know. <laughs> so on page 65, we've got the Shire in a kerfuffle because Frodo is supposed to be selling Bag End and yeah. moving away. Um, so it's not there. It's not there. Uh, sorry, Paul. And assuming that it is now at council... I'm also some distance off. 165, they've just met Strider in the oh, village wow. of Bree, so I've undershot as well. It probably is in the 200s. Um, yeah, this is all... Uh, they come from Mordor, said Strider in a low voice. Okay, really so let's up. find where this working thing is. Council of Elrond... Okay, so it's actually on page 264. Christ. So I'm about 100 off. Let's do the math. You're 99 off, and I'm 199 off. So, oh, yeah. all in all, <laughs> deeply poor. So a fairly poor showing so far for the page off. So I'm on 165 total. Paul is now on 255. So I have, despite not exactly nailing it, managed to pull ahead of Paul. Amazing. So there's now 90 between us. Yeah. Wow. Hotly contested, this page off. Thank you for listening to Not Another Fucking Elf, a Lord of the Rings character guide podcast by me, Paul Ridd. And me, Catherine Bray. We are a self-produced podcast. Please follow us at Not Another Elf on all good social media platforms. Let us know what you think. And it would be great if you could give us not one, not three, not seven, but five stars for Mortal Podcasts on your podcast app. Thanks to Tommaso Alietti for handling the digital wizardry and Charlie Shackleton for our lovely cover art. All clips are copyright their respective copyright holders and we strongly urge you to go out and buy the 1978 Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings, 1979 Mind's Eye radio adaptation, 1980 Rankin Bass Return of the King, 1981 BBC Radio Lord of the Rings, 2001 New Line Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings and the 1990 Rob Inglis and 2020 Andy Serkis Lord of the Rings audiobooks both from HarperCollins. And buy the book. So many nice editions of the book out there. We also recommend the Humphrey Carpenter biography as a starting point if you're curious about the life of the man himself. And the collected letters, also collated by Humphrey Carpenter with Christopher Tolkien. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss next week when we're looking at one of the most important good guys not in the Fellowship. That's your clue for next week. This has been Catherine Bray. And I'm Paul Ridd. And that's it for now. That is the end of the podcast. I'm going to go have a long talk with Bombadil, such a talk as I have not heard in all my time. Thank you.